previously on Film Code. The two-week streak of cracking the code has come to an end. Um, and the movie he is talking about is 1991's JFK. Um, I just think the clues were <laughs> were really hard as far as as far as this is concerned. So Nick's film code was JFK from 1991. Um, I did not even have a guess. Your guess was Evita, so no points there. But this time, it's Phoenix's turn with a brand new code word. My code word this week is Apple. So there it is, Apple. <clears throat> 2010 teacher, actor from a Spider-Man movie is in it. All right, and that's our code word. And Plus, the guys return to review the Oscar-winning animated film 2018's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and a deep dive on the filmography of Leonardo DiCaprio. All that and more on this week's episode of Film Code. everybody how's it going welcome to film code i've I've lost track of the episodes i think this is nine (laughs) yeah 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 all right so episode nine we got a loaded episode this week uh first off my name is phoenix clouden thank you for tuning in you can find me on letterbox at pa clouden and on twitter at imho reviews one that's the number one i am joined today finally for the first time in weeks by all three of my co-hosts, starting with Jeremy Zink, who made us get up early. What's going on, Jeremy? How are you? Want to get up early, man? Sorry. <clears throat> What's going on, everybody? My name is Jeremy. I am Conley on Letterbox. You can follow me at the Real Zippy. That's Zippy with two piece. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jeremy Zink. Awesome. He finally signed up. Now we got yeah, all, got all four members on Letterboxd. Yay. <laughs> all right. And also looking great. Oh, he doesn't have a hat on, so this is awesome. We get to see his hair. What's going on, Nick? I know. <laughs> I, know I thought about putting the hat on, but it's too early. It's too <laughs> early for a hat. So finally here. Glad to be back. Uh, what was it, two weeks that I've been gone? Yeah. Or is it just one? I think it was two weeks I've been gone. I think it was so, just one. So happy to be back. Find me on Letterbox at Nick Spain. Finishing up my Tarantino grind. Only got one more movie to watch, and I've already seen it, so I'm pretty much already done. <laughs> All right. And finally, he was late today, so he gets to go last. <laughs> What's going on, Nathan? How's it going, man? How's everyone doing? Um, just defend myself a little bit. I can only be late when I get the invite, so I uh, can't really join a Zoom call before I get the invite. But regardless, nonetheless, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you haven't already checked out our previous episodes, please go ahead and do so. But if this is your first time, you're lucky because we got a great show for you and because all of our hosts are here. You can follow me on Twitter at NathanPig5, on Letterbox at NathanPig. I have a little lightning symbol next to my name. That's how you know you found the right guy. Also, follow us on Twitter, the show, at FilmCodePod. We do a ton of stuff where we try to interact with everyone, not getting as many interactions as we like. So 
If you interact with us, you're guaranteed to get some uh, some interactions back. That's at Film Code Pod. And just want to thank you guys for, for being here. All right, sweet. And we are ready to get started for this awesome episode. So uh, we were uh, debating because there wasn't a major release this week or even a, a interesting release this week that uh, we wanted to review. So we decided to go back and tackle a movie from 2018. It was a very, very popular uh animated film won Best Animated Feature at the Oscars that year, and that is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. When I originally saw this movie, I saw it online, and I felt like I had, like, a a bad copy. So I really wasn't high on the movie because I felt like, eh, it's okay, you know, it's pretty good, but, you know. All right, so it was good to rewatch it this way. Now it it was on Netflix. Got to see it clear as day. Got to really take in everything. And uh, I'm still like, yeah, yeah, that was great. But yeah, that was it. Like, yeah, like, like, yeah it was great. Uh, I'm, I, I don't get, there's a lot of people who felt like this is the greatest Spider-Man movie ever made. I'm not quite in that camp. I still hold Spider-Man 2 very highly. Uh, I, I even hold Homecoming higher over it. So, uh, but for me, I thought it's great. Definitely one of the top three best Spider-Man movies uh, ever made. And uh, yeah, so I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. What did you guys think? I'll start with uh, you, Nathan, since you saw this more recent. Well, actually, you you actually haven't seen it more recently. These guys saw it just last night, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a Spider-Man rewatch this summer where I watched all eight Spider-Man, so I know I've seen the extensive version of Spider-Man films more recently, but no, technically I've seen it longer. It's been longer than all of you, but um, regardless, this is my second time seeing it. I watched it for the first time last summer, and I'm with you, Phoenix. Like, I think it does a lot of fantastic things. The animation, probably the best animation I've ever seen in in anything ever. It's just so fresh and unique, and I think that's the word I keep coming back to with this movie is unique what they decide to do with it because the multiverse can be extremely confusing. It 100% can be extremely confusing. And they tell it in a way that's not only funny, but it's engaging and you can understand it. Like, I'm sure you could show this to a 10 or 11 year old, and while they might, might not be able to understand everything in the movie, they definitely could understand why there's all these Spider-Mans. They're a little bit different since they come from each universe. And they just did a great job explaining it. Um, It's just a very fun movie overall. But I'm with you. Some people say that this is like one of the greatest movies ever made. I know for the Letterboxd scores, it's in like the top 10 or top 15 highest scored things on Letterboxd. I just don't see it that way. Like I, I gave it four stars, which is brilliant score, but that's where it caps out for me. I don't think it's anything more than that. The film definitely has a couple issues that we'll touch on in a little bit, but um, unique, absolutely fun, absolutely great film. Yes, brilliant film, no. Nick, what do you think? Well, I was was telling Phoenix before you joined that I actually watched this in two parts. Um, The first probably like 50-ish minutes I watched two days ago and then I watched the second half the other day 
the first half I just wasn't like feeling it. I don't know if I just like wasn't in the mood to like watch a movie or if I was just tired or whatever, but I wasn't like feeling it. I was like, yeah, this is okay. I'm not really like in the mood. So I'd rather just stop it and, and pick it up when I'm in the in a better mood. And I'm glad I did because the second half was a lot better than the first. Um, you know, both of you said the animation was great. Won't spend a lot of time on that, but the music was great. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, whenever he saw his uncle before he knew it was his uncle, that music um, or like that sound effect was just powering over the screen. I thought that was really cool. Um, but just the, the music that they had, um, the style, the animation, like you guys said. Um, but the second half was, was really great. And I think that's what really made the movie for me. Jeremy, you just recently watched it. What did you think? I thought it was an okay movie. The animations were cool. The angles in which they showed the animations were cool. Um, it's definitely an interesting take, interesting concept. Um, yeah, I don't think it was the greatest thing in the world, but it was all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, Nick, you mentioned the music. Uh, that mm-hmm. that was definitely, probably, in my opinion, one of the strongest aspects of this film was the soundtrack. Man. The soundtrack is, I don't know, what's the word? Like, very modern, I guess, is the, is the right way to put it. But it was upbeat. It was, it was just, a, it was such an original take on this character because if you read the comics or you, you watch the TV shows or anything like that. Uh, this blend of like hip hop and Afro-Latina and you know, all that, all these styles and everything that they did with not just the animation, not just with the characters, but also with the music. Uh, it's just, it's a very different version of Spider-Man because you know, you, you it's, like I said, if you follow this character for a long time through, you know, the newspaper version all the way to the live action uh, MCU movies, uh, nothing from this movie, soundtrack wise, has ever been in a Spider-Man movie. Like, it's just, it's, it stands on its own, and definitely in that, in that aspect. Yeah, a lot of people forget that this is where we got Sunflower by Post Malone. Like, yeah, it's a bop. This, when I this, heard that, I was bumping. <laughs> this is where it came from. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people forget that. But this is where it originated. So, um, and I know Post Malone definitely like was a artist before this. But I mean, this definitely helped his career for sure. I'm not saying it made him who he is, but definitely helped get him to where he is now. Um, not only that, but I just loved all the villains in this movie. As someone that, this is like I said, I watched all eight. This was my last one this summer. Um, so I had seen a wide range of villains throughout these the first seven films. They included a ton in this like two hour runtime. They had Kingpin, Green Goblin, uh, even for just a little bit. They had Doc Ock, they had Prowler, there might be one more. Like there were so many villains just tied into this this movie and it felt kind of like a reward for Spider-Man fans <laughs> or for comic book readers. Like instead of just one villain dominating the story, it kind of felt like a reward to say, you know, here's all these villains. Let's just throw all the comic book nerd stuff we can at the screen. 
and like I'll I'll harp on myself for a minute. Um, I I remember I was sitting somewhere. I don't remember where they showed part of like the cemetery scene as a post credit scene to some movie, some Sony movie. It might have been Homecoming. I think it was like Captain Marvel. No, because we weren't together. I know we watched. I thought we were. I I don't know. Maybe we were. I'm sorry, but I don't know. Um, well, this came out before Captain Marvel anyway, so I don't know, but I remember looking at it and I was like, really, they're doing another Spider-Man movie. This <laughs> looks like, this looks like a kid's movie. It does like the animation. This looks like a kid's movie. I'm not going to see it. And then it came out and it got rave reviews. I had a couple friends that were like seeing this for the fourth time. And I was like, really? <laughs> Why? Why? You're 15. Why are you seeing this again? Um, and he was like, no, you have to see it. It's a great movie. I'm like, oh, it's a kid's movie. He was like, no, it's not a kid's movie. You have to watch it. Stop using that mindset. <laughs> and Nick knows I'm very stubborn like that. I like to judge things before I see them. Um, something I'm working on. But nonetheless, um, I didn't get around to seeing it for a couple of years. Had always kind of thought it was that kid's movie. And it's not. It's not at all. Um, another thing is just trying to be different. Like I said, watching the previous uh Spider-Man movies, I think the Amazing Spider-Man movies fail because they try to be so much different than the Raimi Spider-Man films, and that just doesn't work. The MCU Spider-Mans are great, but there are elements that they fail at as far as incorporating true Spider-Man lore and true Spider-Man storylines. We talked a couple weeks ago and even last week about Far From Home and Homecoming being too heavy on Tony Stark give Spider-Man his own story. And there's a reason why they do that, because not only they're in the MCU, they're trying to be different from the Spider-Man films before them. And this does everything, starting with the main character, Miles. I mean, Peter Parker's not even the main character in this story. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I remember I, I shared that same sentiment when I thought it was, I thought it was a kid's movie. And I was like, I don't know if I really need to watch this. I, I know Jeremy, when I told you that we were watching this, he said, it's a cartoon. I was like, <laughs> I was like well, uh, yes and no. Like, you know, it's an animated movie. But uh, like I said, a lot of people consider this one of the best uh, Spider-Man movies ever. And um and if you go back, like, so Jeremy, you went, uh, sorry, not Jeremy, Nathan, you went back and we watched the entire Spider-Man movie. That's, that's eight movies? Yeah. Yikes. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> why do you think, is it, do you think that this movie is uniquely better than the rest or are those, the other ones just not as strong? I think, you could, I think you can work both ways. Um, the things that it does, like I just mentioned, with having so many villains and uh, the stylistic art, like when someone gets punched, it, it has that comic book like animation with the pow and stuff <laughs> like that. Like the way that they animate Kingpin, for example, who is just such a tall figure and intimidating figure and like who could you get to play that in a live action movie there's i mean of course there's big guys out there there's the rock there's dave bautista but like no one can really fit that mold like like you can do an animation 
And I think the way they portray him was fantastic. And the story itself, too, is great. Like, I don't know how much of this you'd be able to tell in live action. It'd obviously be significantly harder, but it's just a good movie overall. And I think those unique aspects definitely elevate it over a Spider-Man Homecoming, over an original Spider-Man for me. Um, well, I do think those other movies have, all of them have faults, for sure. All the Spider-Man movies have faults, but I think that Spider-Verse has less and the ways it's unique and different and just a good story elevate it more so than, than the other two. It's it's second uh, behind Spider-Man 2 for me. Yeah, I saw that on your list. I was working it up. But um, no, I agree. Like you were talking about the comic book style and like every scene you could like see those like comic book-esque art styles like wherever you look um (laughs) i know it's kind of funny to say but i follow like a bunch of movie people on tiktok and like so many people have done like the most beautiful movies or like have done like a specific video on like spider-man done to the spider-verse and they're like every scene is like so beautiful and i'm like well it's like an animation movie how (laughs) like beautiful can it be like and then you know it is um but i agree with nathan like there's a lot of things that it does like unique that make it better or worse or just different from the rest of the movies i think like music and sound effects and obviously art and with like nathan said peter not even being the the main character i think it it this was the type of movie that was either gonna like flop on its face because of how unique it was or it was going to do successfully well and i think that it was the latter of the two obviously and i i they've said that they want to do live action but i just don't think it would have the the same effect because of how they played their uniqueness off of the art style yeah it would like lose a bit of magic if you saw live action miles or uh, live at like just his live action story not saying I, I would love to see a live action miles in the mcu or like sony version something like that but not like this just translated to live action i'm with you all right, all right real quick we got to talk about this voice cast because this cast was insane like like when i saw it i was like this that's ridiculous and i watched the credits afterwards and there were people who were voice cast that i didn't even know were voice cast on here like it's insane, but uh, Shamik Moore, who did the voice of Miles, um, Haley Steinfeld, who did the voice of uh, Gwen or Gwen Wanda, yeah. what was her name? Gwanda, you know Gwanda. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, my personal favorite, Nicolas Cage. Come on, <laughs> Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. That that was that was just the greatest thing ever. He was so funny. Ali <laughs> too. Who? Yeah, Mahershala Ali. Yeah, who did he play? He played Prowler, didn't he? He did. That was yeah. him. Okay, I did even, not know that. Even what? Chris Pine has like a very minimal role uh, for voice cast in this movie. Yeah, Chris Pine from uh, from Wonder Woman. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac's in this too. Yeah, did completely Seriously? forgot about that. Yeah, I did, yeah, I, like it's insane. Oscar Isaac, John Mulaney, who was also, who was hilarious. Evident, evidently, postpones a Brooklyn bystander. <laughs> right, Lee Schreiber, who played, he did the voice of Kingpin. Uh, Zoe Kravitz hmm. was Mary Jane. I did not know that. 
Like, this was an insane cast. This was a truly insane cast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, when you when you talk about animated features, especially when there's skepticism about it, like, oh my God, they're making another Spider-Man film. Oh, it's animated. Like, there's skepticism when this came out. How do you reduce that skepticism? You include such a great cast like this. If there were a bunch of no-names, you can't tell me people would have... I mean, of course, people would have gone out and seen it, but you can't tell me that that didn't help, that Amazing Voice cast. Of course it did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can and I also, like, one? playing into the Spider-Man universe, I think, just like a Batman movie, like, no matter who it is, like, you're going to go see it. Unless it's, you know, Christian Bale for Phoenix. So, Nick, what uh, what problems did you see with this movie, though? Why is it kind of capped off for you? So, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I give it four stars, just like you did. A lot of the things are kind of nitpicky. Um, I think they did an okay job. I mean, obviously, we all know the origin story of Peter Parker. He gets bit by the spider, and he, you know, turns into Spider-Man, has all these superpowers. And I think they did an okay job at staying away from it. But the one thing that like got like annoying for me is when they were like, hi, I'm Peter Parker. And you probably know how I got here. And then they did like a two minute monologue and I was like, okay, is this, is this like really necessary? Like, and then, you know, just like a couple of nitpicky things. I think in the beginning, like it was just kind of slow. Like I said, like I just wasn't feeling it in the first half. Um, there wasn't really anything like too exciting. Um, but I think it definitely turned around in the second half. Just a bunch of like nit, nitpicky things for me. What about I'm, you? I'm with you. Like I, I said in my review that the first half is not boring, not bad. Just it, it doesn't live up to the hype. We talked several months ago about Justice League and how the team was building for literally half the film. Miles was building himself for almost three quarters of this film. Like yeah. he wasn't truly Spider-Man, didn't really know how to use his powers until uh, about that halfway point in the movie. And, and even like in the last like, battle. Yeah, and I really didn't I really don't care for anything in the first uh, in the first hour outside of him and his uncle building that bond, showing the relationship that yeah. they had, how much he respects and looks up to his uncle. Outside of that, I really don't care about anything that happens. In the <laughs> I really don't. Like, yeah, his, it's, it's honestly I'm so forgettable. Yeah, like him pulling off her hair and his dad saying, "Oh, say I love you." Like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's bad. <laughs> it's just it's not. It's not think, as good. It's not yeah. as memorable. I think all of I mean, that honestly, was... like that's such like a movie moment. Like yeah. his dad in a cop car doing that in front of the whole school. I know that like my dad would never do that. And <laughs> I know your dad would never do that. I know us as dads would never do that. <laughs> and I don't think there's going to be a lot of dads that would do that. Like why? Like I get it. Like if you're in the drive-through line and you're like. Oh ha ha! My son thinks you're cute to the girl at the window, <laughs> and like embarrass him on that like small level. But like on a school that you sent him to, and he doesn't want to go to, probably the school that you sent him to that's so small that like the whole entire student body knows like everybody's little little details yeah. of their existence, and then you're just gonna do that in front of everybody. There's no way. There's no. Way. 
No, I, it's like a I, movie cliche. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely movie fodder, but it was like like you had said that first hour just is building his relationship to his uncle, and is mostly mostly there for humor, like the the dad saying "I love you" part, the uh, him you know tearing off her hair. All of that is just that's for humor. That's for humor's sake. Even when he he like first gets his powers and he can hear his thoughts. Like that's that's just for humor's sake, which I think is great, you know. And because I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, the other Spider-Man movies, I feel like, except for maybe uh, Tom Holland's MCU movies, don't really have a lot of humor. Like at least, I mean, they they do, but not not nearly as much as there was in this one. So yeah, maybe that that's just me. I feel like you know. And, and, and I watched the Spider-Man cartoons and like humor is a is a huge part of that character. It's part of the reason that makes him so relatable is that there's this kid, you know, he's got these superpowers, he's trying to live his life, go through high school, you know, get a job, fall in love. And then at the same time, he's got to save the city. And he's sarcastic about it because it's like, Dude, what the hell, bro? Like, it's, just, it's like, it's just super annoying. And it's, it's it makes him the funniest and most relatable character, I think, in the entire, Marvel's entire uh, library. So, uh, Jeremy, you've been relatively quiet. So I want to ask you, uh, how do you feel about about that in particular? Like, because you, you, you've not been very... Uh, I guess you could say, familiar with the Spider-Man property because what was the last one? Last Spider-Man movie that you saw? Spider-Man one through three, and like they pretty much—that's where I pretty much left it. I haven't watched all eight. So you haven't seen any of the Amazing Spider-Man movies? I may have seen Amazing Spider-Man. I know I have not seen Homecoming. Um, I'd have to think and. Go back on it. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay, so in comparison to the first three Spider-Man movies, how did this one I guess it was definitely an interesting concept. I like the idea of it. I mean, good cast. And I mean, I personally like the Tobey Maguire for Spider-Man. William Dafoe was awesome. I don't think it's as better as the original, but it's definitely an interesting take and concept, and it was an interesting movie to watch. Okay, dope. So, you guys both gave this four stars. Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Where do you? How would you rank this movie? Three. Three stars. Yep. Uh, I want to touch more a little bit on um, some problems I had with it. I think the turn was an okay turn, like finding out his uncle was the prowler. The music was fantastic, Nick, like fantastic. I'm, I'm with you, but I don't want to say I saw it coming because I didn't, but I definitely wasn't like, whoa, whoa. Like, I, I just wasn't. Like I was like, they, they plant the seeds for you to kind of be able to tell. Like, um, for- Like him 
leaving yeah. the voicemail. Yeah, literally, like, oh, I gotta go out of town for a few days. Oh, he's not picking up. Like, oh, he hasn't been in it for a half hour. Like, <laughs> it, for for people that watch movies a lot, like us, I mean, we could smell something was up um, for sure. I don't want to say it was predictable because it wasn't, but I I know there are some people out there that were like, "Oh, it's one of the greatest turns ever." No, it's not. Nah. It's it's, really not <laughs> it's not that deep. Like I mean, there I have do, been much better turns. I do think they uh, they set it up very nicely. Like like you said, like you know they're just calling him. He's you know he's not answering the phone. That could be anything, right? And uh, I don't know why. Maybe this is a uh, bias creeping in here, but. I never thought that any movie would have the guts, really. And, and truthfully, I think it's only because it's animated. But I don't think I've ever seen a movie have the guts to make one of the villains a black person. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that in any movie where the villain is a... I think they tried it in uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but I didn't see that movie, so... <laughs> but uh, Well, I think talking about that is, I think they did such a great job with how diverse this cast is like miles not being white that's a difference in spider-man the main character not being white and like the the octo doctor she's a woman and i know and like the the spider-man too it's a man you know um and you know like you said prower being african-american and like i think the whole cast was was so diverse i mean obviously it's a an animated movie so you can kind of do whatever you want with it but i think a couple weeks ago we talked about how hamilton was like specifically diverse and i think they did a good job of making this like specifically diverse because you could have easily made miles not african-american and made him like every other spider-man in existence but i think the that choice made it the movie that it was because you could tie in those elements of hip hop and you know all the other types of music that they had. Yeah, and I just want to tie in too for I don't think anyone here can relate, but for maybe our listeners, like for Spider Man fans that play or have played Spider Man PS4, there's a similar turn in the storyline to what happens in uh, Spider Verse and that is ridiculously telegraphed as well like you might be brain dead if you don't see that turn coming so um i i just think that sony and their spider-man properties need to handle these turns better but my biggest issue with this film is absolutely it's absolutely unique 100 it's unique it's different for several different reasons like we talked about Sometimes, at certain points, the writing is extremely lazy. And I think when you go this hard at a story to make it unique, to make it different, to make it stand out, it just, when you put that much effort into it, it just makes your lazy efforts that much greater. Mm. To me, there's two moments in particular. I'll say the le- uh, the, the bigger one second. When... Um, Miles pulls off his mask to his uncle to show, like, don't kill me, I'm your I'm your nephew. And he's like, oh my God, like, we had this great moment. Like, great moment. Yeah. And then, bang, Kingpin shoots him. Really? Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. Yeah. really. I think, I think that hit me like that the first time. Like, that's such lazy writing. You can't give us a little bit more. You can't give us, like, I don't know, Prowler fighting Kingpin for a minute. Like, I, I, I just, I, I thought that was so lazy. And it sounds like you two agree with me. 
Yeah, for me, it was it was it's sort of like a throwaway. Like, you know, this this guy's been working for you. I don't we don't know for how long, and just like and like I don't know what you thought he was going to do, but you just wasted him. Like, it's almost like they like, had it's almost like they had a deadline for the runtime. Like, it can't be over this long, but we have a check a checklist of things we need to do. So we need Miles to show his uncle that he's, he's, you know, Spider-Man, so they can have a good moment. Okay, check, let's move on to the next thing now. Like, we, we, we don't have time to spend on that anymore. We're up against the deadline. Come on, come on, come on, move, move, move. Like, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah, just, it was, uh... Yeah. And I yeah, think it's, it's the same weird. thing, too, when he's in the alleyway and his dad, like, finds him out. Like, I don't remember if they say, like, he says any words to him, like, Thanks for being a good role model. Like, at least, like, if you're going to take away the moment when Kingpin shoots him, at least give us the moment when they're in the alleyway. But I'm pretty sure, like, he's already dead in the alleyway, and it's just Miles, like, holding his dead body. Like, why can't he, like, still have some life left in, in him and be like, you know, you were such a great role model, or, oh, you changed me, like, for the better, like, thank you, or any of that. But then they don't even get that because then his dad's like, freeze, police. So, yeah, yeah. and in the this next one, like, this has to be one of the laziest writing moments I think I've ever seen. And, and it's a shame that it comes in a good film. This happens. Not all films are perfect. Like, I get it. But in the final fight, Daka gets hit by a bus and dies. <laughs> Yes. I think that is one of the laziest writing moments I think I've ever seen because it's because such a badass moment. Yes, it's such a badass moment. And like, there's, I think there's like three Spider-Mans. It's like Miles, it's Peter, and it's Gwen Stacy or what, whatever. There's like three of them about to fight Doc Ock. And, like, and then this bus just comes out of nowhere and just, just Dexter, demolishes Dexter. her. <laughs> and even, even Peter says something like, that was random or he says online <laughs> and i couldn't agree more like are you kidding me that's what they do that is such lazy writing imagine imagine explaining this to your friend right imagine explaining this movie to your friend and you're like oh yeah how'd they defeat kingpin oh there was this big battle and it was crazy what happened with prowler oh well miles revealed that he was like it, it was so cool oh, what happened with doc oh she got hit by a bus <laughs> what? Huh? I think that's that's one of those things that uh, I caught on on the second watch was uh, because I guess because they made her female, uh, and I noticed like you know you got Miles and Peter just punching her in the face, and I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, no one thought that was problematic. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. That I guess that's yeah, okay. Yeah, that that, that kind of like looked <laughs> into my mind like very really quickly, and then I was like, oh, bus. Right, right. So I feel like the bus was like, that was their way of saying like, well, we can't have the guys, you know, they take her out. They so could have like, done something else. They could have <laughs> opened up, they could have opened up a world into the multiverse and pushed her in. They could have uh, used their webs to, to pull a ceiling down onto her. They could have yeah. done so many different things. They could have just webbed her up and let her stay there. I mean, I get what you're saying to be politically correct. I get that. But at the same time, what they did was so lazy. They could have even, like, done something to make the bus hit her. But no, the bus just randomly comes and hits her. 
I, I, I think that's such. Like, oh, it'd be like, like you know, death. Like you both have seen Death Proof. You know, Death Proof when like the girls are like punching um, Kurt Russell and he's like spinning around in circles. It'd be like if he got hit by a bus like, <laughs> after like two punches. You're like, okay, we've had this great villain for the whole entire movie, which has been average, and then you're just gonna take this moment away and like get him with a bus, like. Yeah, that, it, that's exactly what it would be. <laughs> that so, would be great. <laughs> Phoenix, what, uh, what did you give it overall? Uh, I, too, uh, gave it four stars. Uh, like I said, it's, it's top-tier Spider-Man movie. Um, one of the best, I, I think. And I can understand why people think it is the best, because, um, you know, we, we, we brung up some complaints here, but I think... With every live action, there's just way more things you can complain about. So um, this one had incredible visuals, like no doubt about it. Some of the best visuals I think, and animation I think we've ever seen. Um, an incredible story, a great voice cast, um, and yeah, and it left me intrigued and wanting more from this particular universe. So. Like I said, top three for me. Uh, I still, I still can't. I, I, I can't let go of Spider-Man Two, and I, and I think Homecoming is still just—it's the best MCU Spider-Man that we've had. So that's where that's I'm at so with it. Much. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's where I'm sticking with it. So pretty, pretty round the, uh, round the same thing. We each four stars and three stars for Jeremy, and um, so yeah, that's our take on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Great film, 2018. If you have not seen it yet, check it out. And so now, we go on to what's good. Uh, I I don't know if you've had a, a busy week as I have. I've watched eight movies in a matter of three days. Uh, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, how about you? What's good for you this week? Yeah, so uh, offline this week, Phoenix said that I only watch blockbusters and I don't watch enough independent films. Uh, that didn't sit well with me. Like, it just, it, did, it just really didn't. Like, that's just an irrational statement and misidentifies me. So um, I actually went through, this bothered me so much that I went through my letterbox and looked up how many technically independent films I've seen since the beginning of the year. And I've seen 21, which in my mind is a lot. Maybe it's not up to par, but um, seeing 21 independent films since the start of 2020, I think puts that statement to bed. So now I cannot lose sleep over it anymore. Going through that list of independent films, um, stumbled upon one that Nick and I watched together back at school and a film that does have a couple of big name actors in it, but is 100% an independent film. And this gets overlooked in both these uh, actors careers. Definitely will hit all the right emotion buttons. Uh, That movie's beautiful boy with Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell wonderful film i gave it four stars i think nick gave it four stars as well i did yeah it also has uh some notable people like caitlin dever and um amy ryan in it 
just a, a very sad story, a very gripping story. If you're a parent, this is going to be very hard for you to watch. If you're a teenager, this is going to be very hard for you to watch. This is just, this is an emotional story. Um, really good film though, overall with two incredible performances. And um, yeah, when I was looking through my independent ones, I already recommended Hogar a few months ago. So couldn't have done that again. Um, the Lobster as well, but Beautiful Boy is, is definitely my pick for, for this week for what's good. Just to clarify, I didn't say that you don't watch independent films. I said that you mostly watch other films. There's a, there's a key difference. Anyway, Nick, what about you? What's good for you this week? So I'm going I'm to stick with an actor that Nathan mentioned, Steve Carell. Um, so I watched this movie a little bit ago. I'm trying to watch more 2020 releases, but they've all just been so average and I'm trying to finish my Tarantino grind. So most everybody's seen Tarantino films. So I'm going to stay clear away from those. Um, but just a quick note, Nathan's poster in the background, the hateful eight underrated Tarantino film, give it a watch. But for the one, um, 2020 movie that I think was pretty good. Um, and it has some lower ratings because I just don't think that this is in a lot of people's wheelhouse. But if you're a fan of like political satire and, you know, just kind of like crude humor, I would give a, a watch to Irresistible. Um, it's basically this political satire about Steve Carell, who is a Democratic campaign manager he goes to a small town in Wisconsin and advises this military guy and his rival, who is played by Rose Byrne, who's a Republican political campaign manager. She goes and manages the, the mayor of the town, and it's this big whole hotbed for political satire and comedy between the two of those. Um, Rose Byrne does fantastic. Steve Carell does fantastic. And I think this is a really underrated film in 2020 um i think it's my number what four five my fifth best film of the year so far which isn't really saying much because this year's been ass so far <laughs> other than like palm springs and like the invisible man in the way back there's not really been like any big name releases um so yeah that's my that's my go-to recommend of the list give it a give it a shot and if you hate it then let me know on twitter <laughs> or let Nathan know on Twitter. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeremy, what about you? I don't have anything for 2020, but I went mm -hmm. back and watched uh, – you guys may not have heard it, may have seen it, but uh, Double Jeopardy, 1999 movie with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Ashley Judd, and Bruce Greenwood. Very good movie, very good storyline, and a lot, of, a lot of good twists in that movie. I have seen Double Jeopardy. It is a fantastic movie. Um, so I was going to recommend the 2020 movie, but, uh, I decided to go back and, uh, I'm going to go a little bit older. I, this is, a uh, on, on Letterboxd, you know, I have a list of movies that I can't believe I haven't seen yet. Oh yeah. We're, we're well aware of that. <laughs> and, uh, this is one of them and I recently watched it and I got to say, like, I struggled with, uh, giving this five stars because I think it was it's probably one of the best movies ever made and that is uh, uh, Itumama Tambien 
by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, it's one of his first movies that he ever did. It's uh, such a great film. Such a great, great film. It's uh, about these kids. They decide to go on a road trip to a place they're not even sure actually exists. And they get this older woman. They convince this older woman to go with them. And it's just this journey of friendship and lust and love. And it's such just a poignant, beautifully portrayed film. Quaron is, is a masterful director. Uh, if you have not seen it, which I can tell by Nick's face, is definitely never what seen it. What is this movie called? E2, E2 Mama Tambien. Oh, yeah. I heard something way different <laughs> from the first time you said that. Yeah. Uh, but okay, it, just looking at it, why is like the cover on Letterboxd like two kids having sex in a yes, backseat? Yes, that out exactly. Of all yeah, the, yeah. Out of all the freeze <laughs> frames that they could have pulled from this 106-minute movie, you're telling me that the, the freeze frame that they're going to pull is some guy fucking this girl in the backseat of a car? Well, if you watch the movie, there are a lot of scenes like that. Uh, <laughs> that's so. that's i'm glad you brought that up that's been on my watch list too because just i know that a lot of people on letterbox rave about it so yeah definitely want to want to check that one out i definitely recommend it uh so there you have it eat the mama tambien irresistible uh double jeopardy and beautiful boy. beautiful boy all great films hope you guys check them out and that's what's good from us. What's good, what's good, what's good. On to our discussion this week. And we put a poll out on Twitter. Uh, check us out at Film Code Pod. Uh, we put a poll out on Twitter about which actor's filmography we should discuss. It was, it was a landslide from the beginning, man. <laughs> like, you know... Hugh Jackman and Michael Keaton were fighting, but uh, it, it came down to Leonardo DiCaprio. He had such an insurmountable lead. And uh, that's what the reason. people want to hear about. Yeah. The pe- good- this is what you chose. So right. here we go. <laughs> right. For good reason. Leonardo DiCaprio is probably one of the greatest actors of my generation. And uh, so I'm excited and elated to, to discuss his filmography, which features, I would argue, some of the best films ever made <laughs> when you're talking about leo uh gonna hand this over to nick for his favorite movie ever nick you want to talk about titanic yes. really favorite movie ever <laughs> yeah bro what do you mean titanic's a Take classic it. titanic i think is like top five in most ever oscar nominations but titanic has I always think been i think it's one i think it, it's like yeah i think it is one i think it won 11 award yeah titanic um has always been one of my favorite films um ever since i was a a little kid i we rented the the dv vhs tape in the on the (laughs) old days of blockbuster and vhs and it literally came in two vhs tapes the the first half and the second half because it was it was that long um but this has always been one of my favorite movies i'll always like stop what I'm doing and watch it if I ever like find it on TV. Um, and, and Leo's great. Um, this summer I've like discovered that Leo's been my favorite actor because 
I've recently watched Inception a couple times when I did my Christopher Nolan filmography binge. Um, and I watched Inception for the first and second time this summer. And that's also on my top five um, favorite movies of all time list. And I said, wow, it's probably not a coincidence that Leo's on both of the top five favorite films or top four for me. I think he's great in, in Titanic. It's It's been a while since I've seen it, probably a couple, maybe like even two years now, honestly. Um, no, I think I watched it last summer. But it's been a while since I've watched that. But he's fantastic in Inception. Um, Inception is just such a deeply written movie. And I think he, he perfectly plays um, Cobb in that. I've, I've seen him in a, in a lot of other things recently. Um but we'll talk about that, like, throughout the, the talk. Uh, it, yeah, are we sticking Inception or Titanic? Which route we going? I mean, if you you haven't seen Titanic, have you, Nathan? I have. I have I seen Titanic. Say, dude, it's like, been, <laughs> well, this was, like, pre-Letterbox days, pre, uh, pre, like, my love for movies. Like, yeah, turn on a movie, we'll watch it, no big deal. But, like, pre-love for movies, um, I think I watched it Halloween at OU with some of some of my friends. Um, and wow, that was, was my first. Titanic of Halloween. Yeah, trust me, it was it was a weird friend group. No longer connected <laughs> to them, thankfully. Regardless, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just one of those movies I haven't seen in a while. I do remember it was long. Titanic wow. is extremely this, long. <laughs> this is coming from the guy who has. A hateful eight poster in the background <laughs> and a Pulp Fiction poster over off the screen. Pulp Fiction's not that long. I think it's like two hours plus, two and a half hours, yeah. right? Yeah. So but, see, it's only thirty minutes more. Anyway, plus like ten minutes of credits. We're I watching it when when we when we oh, reunite. Lord. We're watching it. <laughs> I, um, for uh, for everybody out there, I've been trying to get this man Nathan to watch Titanic for months. Oh months. <laughs> we do like a we do a movie wheel where we pick three movies, and he always like gets rid of Titanic because he doesn't want to watch it, <laughs> or he like, or he prays that it it doesn't get landed on on Titanic. But we're he's watching it, and when he does, you'll know because we're gonna talk about it. That's, Actually, that's I wanted, fine. I wanted that's to fine. ask Nathan, it, like, is Leo one of your favorite actors or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. So like, if he's one of your favorite actors, man, man, you I've gotta seen watch this. Though. We we like, gotta we gotta stop this false narrative, guys. I've seen this before. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not shame tour for Nathan. Um, <laughs> like, I've seen this within the last three years. It's just it's been a while. I wasn't my affinity for movies wasn't quite there, but I've definitely seen this before. It's not like you know I'm completely out of the loop here but honestly the just, real the real question on a shame tour is when phoenix brought up newspaper spider-man <laughs> like how old is that yeah really but um like yeah 1930s. i mean when 30s when we're talking leo like titanic is not my um not my forte not my expertise i'll leave that to nick but jeremy what do you what do you think about that my titanic i love the movie um but it's not like – if I think of Leo, it's not my go-to. I'll think of, like, Catch Me If You Can or The Departed um, or definitely Django. Um, but, yeah, Titanic was awesome. I remember seeing that in theaters when it first came out with uh, 
my middle school girlfriend at the time. <laughs> when did this come out? I'm this just came out in 97. I wasn't even alive. We weren't yeah. alive. <laughs> we weren't alive. Yeah, I remember seeing it with my mom and my little high school or middle school girlfriend at the time. So, my, I, I just remember I, I also saw it in theater, so, you know, you know, just dating us both. But, uh, like, <laughs> I just remember that scene when the, the, the ship goes all the way up and splits in the air. Yeah. I, I still think that, like, you know, if you do a list of the top 100 greatest shots in cinema, I think that's definitely up there. It's just such an iconic shot. And, uh, I mean, this yeah. movie's filled of, of iconic scenes. I think if, if you talk, I mean, not getting too deep in like the movie talk, but just like Leo, I think the, the has multiple of like, if we want to say top 100 film scenes, I think like Rose and Jack, when they're first meeting and she's about to jump off the back of Titanic. I think that's one of the most iconic movie scenes. I think, obviously, Draw Me Like One of Your French Girls. I think that's one of the most, maybe like top 10, most like iconic movie scenes. Um, the Sinking, I think that that's iconic. I think the whole movie is iconic. But I think Leo's great in this. Um, a scene that I specifically remember about, about him is when he gets invited to this dinner for saving Rose mm. off the back of the ship. And um, I forget her character's name. Uh, shoot. Molly Brown. She is, um, you know, talking to Jack and she's like, son, have you, you know, do you have anything to wear? And she like brings him into the, um, her like, room and gives him his son's suits and he goes to the dinner and he just like handles himself so well i think that's just such a great scene for how leo is as an actor as well as the the character of jack too is that dinner with all the the rich and famous yeah uh so we got to move on and we'll, we'll stay on titanic so jeremy <laughs> i know you mentioned probably your favorite what what is your favorite Leo role because I feel like it's obvious. Feel like it's gonna be Django, but you tell me. I mean, his performance in Django was absolutely spectacular. I mean, when he played Candy, that yeah, you can't really top that role. But <laughs> the one that I really like is uh, his portrayal in Catch Me If You Can because he played so many different characters, so to speak, in that. And I loved uh, Tom Hanks in that movie too. Um, Departed definitely because Departed has an all-star cast and he played the shit out of the Departed man for some reason just let's let's stick on Catch Me If You Can there's another one that I've seen before Letterboxd days and this just makes me laugh every time anyone mentions Catch Me If You Can because for some reason Catch Me If You Can is the perfect go-to film for high school teachers to show like, oh my god stop high school stop. teachers just love to show this movie for some odd reason and i mean nick it sounds like you agree so my girlfriend and i we were talking about like what movies to watch and catch me if you can's been on my watch list for like oh, a, a little bit now because i've never gotten around to seeing it and i was like oh i'd love to watch this and she's like no, I don't really want to watch that because I remember in high school, my teacher showed me that movie. <laughs> so I'd rather watch something that I haven't seen. And I was like, 
what the fuck does that mean? Like, who, who would show that? And then Nathan literally just says it. I'm like, oh my God, it all is connected. I'm glad. I'll have to talk to Katie about that. But I mean, yeah. like twice, twice, two different classes, two different teachers showed this to me in high school. And look, it's a great film. It's a great film. 100%. I think it's Spielberg, isn't it? Spielberg direct. Yes. So yeah. So obviously For- Spielberg, very, can't go wrong with Spielberg, but nope. um, for some fucking reason when it's movie day in like the during when nick and i were in high school this is the one the teachers like historically accurate not really a little bit but sure entertaining sure let's pop that shit in like i don't for me it was the dead poet society i think i watched that shit like four times that's a whole other cringe story but um yeah anyways catch me if you can leo's so young um he definitely (laughs) delivers same with titanic he definitely delivers a great performance for how young he is. And um, this was the first first movie that I saw that really put Leo's name in my mind because I saw this before Titanic. Um, I, I love Catch Me If You Can as far as, you know, when I saw it six years ago. But um, definitely one that I'll need to revisit here. I think, I think um, sorry, go ahead, Jeremy, or Phoenix. No, I was just going to say, I was, I'm looking through his uh, filmography here, and I'm like, you know, honest to God, I, 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 I don't know how this is possible, but, like, he's in, like, every movie, I'm not, not every movie, but every movie that I love that he's in is literally, like, my favorite movie of that year. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, like, y'all, y'all, y'all talked about the movies that were shown in, in high school. Yeah, I did see that in high school, too. Romeo and Juliet was literally, like, every English class. So, so I, got, I got a question. It's like baby Leo. Yeah. Wait, did J- wait? I always get this confused. Was Django 2012 or 13? Django I, oh, was 2012. Damn, yes. Okay. That, <laughs> ruined, that ruined what joke I was about to make, but never okay. mind. <laughs> no, but... Uh, so speaking of... Go ahead, Phoenix. I didn't know you were done. You was, uh, keep going. I was just going to say, like, uh, I think Ro- Romeo and Juliet's probably one of my favorites, but not even for Leo. I think uh, I forget his name, but the guy who played Mercutio, uh, he he steals the show for me. So like that's that's just uh, it's crazy to me that that's you know a Leo movie and I, like he's like secondary in my mind in that movie. But um, the the one movie I, I have to talk about is Shutter Island. Well, wait, 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 wait. I got to wait. I got a couple more thoughts before we move on, though. Okay. Um, Romeo and Juliet was another one that we watched in high school, just so you know. This is, again, I was a freshman in high school. I was, like, 14, so this was at least seven or eight years ago. And um, I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? And (laughs) it's been so long, so I definitely don't have the clearest mind when talking about this. But all I remember is like the guns and the helicopters and like shooting at a helicopter. And I was like, what the fuck? And my mom even brought that movie up the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah, if I wanted to watch a Romeo and Juliet movie, why would I ever watch that? So I, I like I said, I haven't seen that in years. But um, I just remember everyone in the class, too, was like, why are we watching this? <laughs> I don't remember if this, because, you know, it's been like eight years. I don't remember if that specific Romeo and Juliet that we watched, but I remember like the teacher paused 
the movie. It might have been a different movie because it was so long ago. But she paused the movie, and she was like, "Now there's gonna be some intimate scenes coming up here. Um, if you want to leave the room, like you can do that." And I was like, what "The fuck you mean? People are gonna leave the room during a sex scene? Okay." Did you? No. <laughs> 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 all right that's that's all i wanted to say but shutter island i know this is another one of nick's big favorites so uh, yes go ahead this movie's fantastic i think it has the best the best twist of all time you can argue me on that best twist of all time nathan you like disagree i anyway. I, th- I go ahead just you you roll with it one of the biggest twists how about that but Leo's fantastic in this movie. Um, the scene that obviously comes to mind is the ending scene with um, Ben uh, Ben Kingsley, and they're in the lighthouse, and you know the whole plot gets revealed. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but you should definitely go check it out. Um, but the whole plot gets revealed, and. Leo's just fantastic in that scene and the flashbacks and, and everything about that scene. He's just fantastic. Yeah. Mark to Ruffalo me, that's, too. Yeah. To me, that's, Mark Ruffalo. that's one of the movies where, cause like, as I'm looking through his filmography, um, you notice like he doesn't really do a lot of the same characters. I mean, sure. He, he does like biopics yeah. and he does like crime dramas or whatever, but you know, he he he's pretty pretty all over the place when it comes to the roles that he he's taken, and with Shutter Island, Shutter Island to me was like the first, I guess you could say, horror thriller that he ever did. That I was like, and and it's Scorsese. I was just like, this is this works. Like, why does this work so well? Like, you got this top notch actor who could literally do dramas. You know, he could do elitist dramas for the rest of his life. And he decides to do this sort of, I, I don't want to say down home, but like, it's almost like a, a bridge below what he normally does, but he elevates it so well because it's just such a great film and a great story. And he just kills it. Like it's to me, it's a movie. Like I feel like Leo could do this kind of movie in his sleep. Right. Yeah. And it, and it'd still be like one of the greatest performances ever. I mean, just talking about, like, diversity in, in appearance as well, too, is, like, you look at The Revenant, you look at him and Django, and then Wolf of Wall Street, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, and Titanic, like, those are all, like, departed, like, those are all, like, different looks, you know, like, if you were watching The Revenant as, a, like, a casual film, you know, film person, and you, like looked i guarantee you the first person you would not think of is oh that's leonardo you know <laughs> if you didn't know who he was because it looks nothing like him at all so i think like just to you know top on that diversity is like he pulls off so many different looks as well yeah and leo delivers so many great performances i i do enjoy his shutter island performance more than some of his other ones um i don't have like a definitive leo ranking as far as performances i do it for the films but um i would think this would have to be top four probably of the ones that i've seen um but yeah i mean i saw shutter island just a couple months before you nick as far as a movie goes i do think it's a great film 
I think you just appreciate it and, and like certain aspects of it a little bit more than I do. And regardless, um, that's fine. Like, I still think it's great film. I wish it would have done a few things differently, but that's no fault of Leo's. And um, I think he was the perfect choice for, for the leading man in that film specifically. Yeah. And I want to talk about, um, obviously, I think we all want to talk about Django. Um, I watched QT8 after I finished all my Tarantino. Nathan, I know you watched this too. I love QT8. Um, one thing that I think really just is cool about movies is like hearing about like how everybody interacted on the film set and you know how people were during filming. The one thing I remember specifically when they were talking about Django is when Jamie Foxx was saying how hard of a time Leo was having as, you know, playing the type of person that Candy was. And Jamie Foxx was like, look, man, like, you just got to look at us like we're, we're your property, like on and off set. Like, you can't just be soft on us. Well, yeah. So the next, yeah, go ahead. And it was, it was specifically like Leo had a really hard time saying the N word, like as much yeah. as, as much as Django set, does it and how much they say it in that movie, like, Leo had is obviously such a strong moral conscious, such yeah. a great person. Like he literally had such a hard time saying it in front of Samuel L. Jackson, Jamie Foxx, Kerry Washington, nonetheless saying it in general. Um, yeah. And like, it was from what they say in QT8 and I read an article actually about it before I watched QT8. Like it, it, it took away from his performance a little bit up until Jamie Foxx said like, look, you, you you gotta take that out of your mind just say it it's fine so i'm I'm glad you brought that up like yeah it just really speaks to leo as a person yeah and i think another thing from that scene too is i didn't realize it is when he slams his hand on the table and he breaks you know the glass and he's bleeding that's like real like he actually was bleeding he actually had to like go to the er and i think like get stitches on his hand and he like carried on in that scene and everybody like gave him a standing ovation afterwards. Cause he literally was, his hand was full of blood and he went on with, with this scene as the best take, obviously, cause it was in the movie and he just carried on. To me, I think Nick and I talked about this the other day. Um, to me, I think this is the best Leo performance that I've seen. I have not seen the Revenant and I have not seen yeah. the Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm a horrible person for not seeing those two films. Like, I don't know how I haven't seen the Wolf of Wall Street yet, but of the Leo films I've seen, I think this is the best. Um, Inception is a better film. The Departed is yeah. a better film in my mind, but I think this is a better performance. I think, I think Inception is a great film, but I think Leo's replaceable in it. I think you could get another great actor to do the exact same thing. I love The Departed with all my heart. I got a poster right there. It's one of my favorite films. Leo's great in that film as well, but he's not irreplaceable. I could see another guy doing that role. I think Django, he's completely irreplaceable. I think he kills this role so much. I think the talent, the charisma that he brings, I just think this he kills it in this role. This is, I don't want to say my favorite role, but it's just the best of his roles. I think this is the best Leo performance. Like I said, I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street. I haven't seen Revenant. I know he's praised for those, but um, I, I would be surprised if they were better than Django because he just kills this. Did he get nominated for Django? Yes, he did. For supporting, yeah. yeah. Right, for supporting, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the filmography here, and uh, I'm ashamed to admit that I have not seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I've not seen The Great Gatsby, Gang of, of New York, uh, The Aviator, Blood Diamond, or J. Edgar. Uh, so those are all fantastic movies, I'm sure, that Leo has done. I've just not gotten to them yet. But I want to uh, bring up one role that I think gets overlooked tremendously. And even at the time when it was released, it, it, it received really, really negative reviews. And that's The Man in the Iron Mask. I love this movie. Like, uh, Leo plays two roles in it. He plays King Louis Fourteenth, I want to say. King Louis XIV, uh, and then he plays his uh, his sympathetic uh, brother, the one he's trapped, his twin brother, the one who, who he's trapped in the Iron Mask. Uh, and he just, he, he meets both roles efficiently, like so efficiently, and he's so good at it. Now, the movie probably sucks. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen it in a long time. The yeah, movie, it, yeah, the movie itself is probably terrible, but... Leo is so great in this movie, and I think he was, he was written with an in, incredible role. I think he elevates every scene that he's in. Tremendous movie. Uh, like I said, haven't seen it in a while. It's probably not the best movie that, that Leo's done, but I do think it's one of his better roles. And uh, I feel like we got to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I... I, I, I can't even put into words how much I, I adore this movie. I, like, love this movie. Uh, and I think Leo, especially, is, like, fantastic. Like, what he does as a, a God, I'm blanking on it, Rick Dalton. Like, just com- commanding that whole idea of being uh, an actor from a different time period trying to work in this new modern age and how difficult that is. And just, he just masterful. The, the dude's masterful. Yeah. And that, uh, of course, everyone remembers the last 20 minutes of the movie, which is, you know, the greatest thing ever. I think <laughs> just one of the, the, the best freaking scenes I've ever seen. But like throughout that entire movie, like Leo is so, so, so talented, so good. And to me, it's just a showcase of how well he can act. And, uh, that, that yeah, it's just one of my favorite movies. Like I don't know if it'll be replaced when I see Wolf of Wall Street or any of the other ones, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, is one of Leo's best performances. And I think it often gets overlooked. You know, I think it will in the future too, is because 2019 was such a great year in movie. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Brad Pitt won for Best Supporting, and he was in the same movie. Um, And, you know, we had Joaquin Phoenix win from Joker and I think a landslide. I think he was a pretty much a lock. And we had so many other good leading performances by a male role. I'm trying to remember everybody who got nominated. Adam Driver. Yeah. Um, Antonio Banderas wrongfully got nominated. Jonathan Price also wrongfully got nominated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but regardless, like there were a lot of great performances. I'm with you, but I I think like Leo's not even the best thing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, Brad Pitt completely outshines him. Like, does Leo play the character great? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, he, when you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I've seen this film three times since it's come out. Jeez. I just I 
I don't think of Leo. I don't like this is Brad Pitt's movie. This is Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood. And this is so much more about the Manson, the children of Manson and like rewriting history than it is even about uh, Leo. And I don't think like similarly, I don't think anyone thinks of Margot Robbie when they think of this film, even though she's literally the person that it's about. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. Like how many movies is Leo so good in and yet, like he 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 kind of gets outshined by a co-star, and yet like he's still he's still fantastic, but like, you know like he somebody else is like I don't think they're better. I just think the movie works towards their strengths than it does towards Leo's. Even though Leo is still like one of the better, he's delivering one of the best performances of his career, and it's still like in a movie where it's like. Yeah, but this guy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like like even in in the departed, like Leo's Leo's putting it on. He's he's fantastic. But Jack Nicholson is in this movie. Like like what do you, what can you do? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I mean, like we, we you hit on it right there. We gotta talk about my favorite Leo movie. We gotta talk <laughs> about one of my favorite movies of all time, The Departed. I mean, Nick and I have not linked up since we saw this since I saw this due to the pandemic, but this has been Can't like my word. my highest Copyright. Wait, what? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Since, I was going to say demonetized. <laughs> since the since the pandemic started, I watched this film. I got my nice little poster right here, um, which will be coming back to school with us. But I love this movie. Nikki got to see it soon. Uh, I don't want to talk spoilers because this is just insane. But, like, you just touched think, on it. Just go ahead. I was going to say, I think our, our first weekend back, The Departed Titanic double feature, I think we got to do it. <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm all in on all that. Right. But Phoenix, I mean, you said it yourself. Like Jack Nicholson is so scary in this movie. He's intimidating. There's literally a scene where he just is sitting next to Leo and I can feel the, like gravity of the scene in my living room. I can feel it in my chest. I'm like, oh my God. And nothing's even happening. They're just sitting there. So yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. Leo's obviously very young in this movie as well but delivers a fantastic performance and i think this is one of those one of the few movies that were written um when he was younger that was more tailored to his acting abilities before it was like you know titanic and catch me if you can were just kind of written to be written and they were like okay we'll worry about who we get after Mm. but i feel like the departed was kind of written certain scenes were written around leo and what he can do and certain scenes like that like especially like you know, there's there's one scene uh, particularly where Jack Nicholson and Leo first meet and Jack Nicholson's kind of kind of skeptical of Leo's character. So I don't want to spoil anything, but he's skeptical and what they end up doing. Like, I think that scene was written in for Leo. Like if you had another actor that couldn't necessarily act as strongly as Leo, I don't think that scene happens. So absolutely adore The Departed, the departed excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. Love this film, love Leo in it. But that that wants me to uh, go to my next movie, which is another film I absolutely adore that seemingly no one else does, and that's The Great Gatsby. I mm. love this movie, and this has become popular to hate. Like, we've all done this. I don't care who you are. Everyone's been in a friend group, and they've had an opinion, and everyone in the friend group says, oh, I don't like that person, or I don't like that thing, or I just don't want to go. 
and you're like, oh, I don't want to go either. I don't like that guy either. But you really like don't. You're just agreeing to agree with the group. Like everyone's done that at some point in their life. I feel like that's what everyone does with The Great Gatsby. Like this has not good reviews on Letterboxd, not good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, people love the shit on this movie. And it's just like cool. The Greatest Showman. It's just like recently, for some reason, Avengers Endgame. People are like, oh, yeah, that movie sucks. Well, no, it doesn't. I think Leo's the perfect guy to play Jay Gatsby. Um, when you talk about the prestige that Jay Gatsby needs to have and the just uh, he's perfect for this role. He kills it. I don't know why people hate this movie because I think it's fantastic, especially because Tobey Maguire is great in this as well. Um, but Gatsby is overlooked for sure. It's definitely not. I don't want to sit here and say it's one of Leo's best performances because the man's great and everything. But yeah, I love this movie and it's definitely overlooked. Honestly, like I've never seen it either. So like I can't speak on, you know, the movie itself, but maybe it's like, I know I had to read it in high school. Like they forced us to read the great Gatsby in high school. I don't know. Maybe that has something to deal with it. Like people are triggered by having to read the book and then watch the movie because, you know, God forbid you have to read a book. So I have no idea. (laughs) The last thing that we should talk about when it comes to Leo is how many times this man has gotten shafted in, in the Oscars and how he's only won a single Oscar for, you know, in the movies that he's been in his top, you know, 10 most known movies are like once upon a time in Hollywood inception, uh, Wolf of wall street, Django, the revenant, Shutter Island, Titanic, The Departed, Catch Me If You Can, The Great Gatsby, Gangs in New York, Aviator. Twelve very well-known movies, and you didn't even talk about, you know, like, uh, Revolutionary Road, which is directed by Sam Mendes, who, mm-hmm. you know, is a fantastic director. Um, and he's been nominated, I don't know how many times, I think four or five, and only won once. I think that's a, a tragedy. I and think, I think, I, I I think, think if too. it continues on this trend... I think Leo is going to be one of those actors that like everybody looks back on in 20, 30, maybe even 50 years. Like he was so good, but he only won a couple Oscars for his performances and might not even be considered like one of the greatest of all times, which I think is a tragedy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how he got missed on so many classic films. Cause I think I looked up his uh, filmography uh, last night and like, it's like uh, it's it's like ridiculous. It's like The Departed, Django, Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, Inception, and then it's like The Revenant. And it's like, really? Like 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 the the Revenant was the one that you were like, yeah, let's 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 give him the win for that. Like he he literally had a string of like some of his best performances ever. And then you give it to, I don't know if you've seen The Revenant. I, I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, but I was, I was like, of all of, of, all of uh, Leo's roles, I think, you know, you, any one of those you could have you awarded long before, you know, giving him, like if The Revenant was his third Oscar, that would have been fine. But like as his first, I just think that's insane. Yeah, so I looked it up. So there's, he's been nominated six times, 
five times for best actor, once for best supporting. What's Eating Gilbert uh, Grape, that was best supporting, best actor for The Aviator, best actor for Blood Diamond, best actor for Wolf of Wall Street, best actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then finally best actor for The Reverend, which he won, of course. But you're telling me in all those movies, I mean, I don't know who else got nominated. I can't really speak on who else got nominated, the performances, but you're telling me once out of six or seven times, that's crazy. So backtracking too, like I want to reverse what we said earlier. He wasn't nominated for Django. Right. Yeah. He wasn't. And like Christoph Waltz won that year. Yeah. And listen, I love Christoph Waltz. He's my favorite actor that he's even in Django. I like him more than Jamie Foxx, Samuel L. Jackson, and Leo. But this man delivers the third best performance of that movie, maybe even (laughs) fourth behind Jamie Foxx. Leo's better. Samuel L. Jackson's better. And then we could talk about who's better between Jamie Foxx or Christoph Waltz. So you're telling me that he's at least the third best supporter and he won? Come on. Yeah, Come that's, on. That's, that's crazy. Leo um, getting <laughs> shafted out yeah, here. Yeah, Leo's gotten shafted on a lot. I mean, because seriously, you look at this lineup. This is this is ridiculous. Some of the best movies ever made. Um, but uh, so I just want to know from everyone, you got to pick one. Okay, just one. What is it? Were we talking performance? We talking movie? Uh, performance. What is your number one Leonardo DiCaprio performance? For me, it's. I'm just gonna say what I said earlier. It's Django. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street. Haven't seen The Revenant until that. Until I do, I'm rolling with Django. Inception and Departed are better movies, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're as good performances as what he performs. In Django, blew me away then, still blows me away today. Uh, this is Leo's best in my mind. Nick, what about you? I got to agree. Um, you know, Titanic and Inception and Shutter Island are some of my favorite movies, and Django doesn't make that list. I think it's a great movie. I think I gave it four stars, which Nathan still hates on me for. I'll have to rewatch it, I guess. But um, I think he's great. Um, I think whenever an actor like puts on a different dialect and you know, it's, it's a good dialect. It's not like really bad where you can notice it. Um, I think that's great in itself, but I agree um, with all the things that I know, like off screen, like having a hard time saying the N word and, you know, having to get in that mindset and, you know, cutting his hand on glass when his most iconic scene in the movie is coming up. Like, you know, I think, Titanic and those other movies are more of my favorites, but I think Django is definitely his best. All right. Jeremy, what about you? Where, What is Leo's best performance for you? In my opinion, I know all of you think I'm going to say Django, but I think it's Wolf of Wall Street because mm-hmm. he really worked his ass off to be Jordan Belfort and the way he portrayed that individual who also made an appearance on that movie was phenomenal. Yeah. I, I think I would probably go with Wolf of Wall Street if, if when I finally see it. But for me, uh, and this might just be recency bias, I don't know. But for me, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I freaking love that movie. I love Leo's performance in it. It's just it's just one of my favorite movies ever. So that that's where I'm at with it. It may change, but yeah, for me, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So how about how about we do now best? Best movie that Leo is in. How about okay. that? Best overall movie. 
Phoenix. Phoenix, go ahead. Best overall movie. Oi. Oi. Uh, I'm torn between two. Um, Just give, a, give us both then. I'm torn between Inception and The Departed. Uh, I think those are the best movies that Leo's been in. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with... I'm going to go with Inception. I think, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you think? Django. Okay. Nick? Hi, Jeremy. Okay. I already know. Yeah, and mine's departed. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Um, nonetheless, like, you talk you talk about iconic performances, but just brilliant movies. I mean, we named four in, iconic movies between Inception, Departed, Django, Titanic. Those are four iconic movies. And we didn't even touch on in this uh, discussion, we didn't even touch on Gangs of New York. Right. Or J. Edgar, right. which in it in it of itself are, are popular movies as well. And talking about those icon, yeah, and talking about iconic movies like Wolf of Wall Street. I know we didn't touch on a whole lot because Jeremy's the only one that's seen it. But um, regardless, like, just speaks to how incredible Leo is. He's still on the younger side, so he's going to be in a lot more guys. And if you don't like Leo, I don't know what's wrong with you because mm-hmm. this dude is one of the best talents top five talents i think in hollywood as far as male actors go um i I think before before we leave off what we should guess how many oscar nominate or oscar wins this man's gonna get before he retires for supporting and leading combined Uh, yeah nominations or wins wins i'm gonna go with three and that's not enough I'm going to go three as well, and I agree. It definitely is not enough. He's going to get two more for, like, two movies that are, like, probably just okay. <laughs> I'm going to go different. I'm going to go four. And, and five. Actually, I'll say five. One for one for best supporting and four for, for best actor. He's got well, to go on a nice run then. Yeah. The Academy's got to switch up. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe some of those people will retire or pass and – and some new Leo <laughs> lovers will get in there. Jerry, what do you think? We'll three. Three? All right. All right, so let's do it. Let's move on to film code, guys. Apple, and uh, your clues were the year 2010, uh, and a uh, actor or actress who starred in a Spider-Man movie is featured in the film. Uh, Nathan believes he has it, so uh, I'll go. I'll go first because I'm oh. I'm the leader with two. Yes, Nick. Nick has the most points, so yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Lead us off. Right, Let's well. see if you. If well, you take the lead said, again. This this one's kind of easier on the easier side. Mine last week was was pretty challenging. I wasn't there for it, but I, I didn't get to hear some of your guesses, sadly. Um, but I think I have a pretty good idea. Um, this actress was in, and I can't wait to see what Nathan because he might have the same one. This actress was in 
a movie with Ryan Gosling in 2010. Um, this takes place in the Big Apple, and it's a movie called All Good Things. It's Kristen Hurts or Kristen Dunst. My bad. Excellent Nathan. choice. Excellent choice. Nathan, no, no, Jeremy, go ahead. We'll let Nathan go last since he thinks he's got it. Jeremy, go ahead. I ain't got nothing because, like I was telling you, I was having a hard time. And even though we talked, I might not have seen all the Spider Man. So I went from William Defoe, from Tobey Maguire, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. I, it's a shot in the dark on me. <laughs> got nothing. Nothing I got to toss nothing. Oh, okay, doke. All right, Nathan. You got uh, your pick. What do you Nick, think I th- it is? I thought you were going a different direction here. Um, I don't know, Phoenix. You, you're kind of worrying me a little bit here. Because <laughs> when you first said it, like I had it while we were still recording mm-hmm. last week. Uh, this seems too obvious, but I'm not. Uh-huh. I'm not going to pull out like I did with Nick <laughs> last time, like I did with Beasts of No Nation, like right. a few weeks ago. I'm not pulling out. I'm sticking with it. This is a very obvious one, and if it ends up being what Nick said, then then good for him. Um, you said it, 2010, teacher, Apple, uh, you know, apples are synonymous with teachers, big Apple. That's a good one. I didn't even think about that. Um, if that's what it is, good on you, but, um, Apple and teacher synonymous. I went with easy a with Emma stone. Uh, you did say it was hilarious, which I felt like, you know, this is a comedy movie. Um, Emma stone obviously played Gwen Stacy in the amazing Spider-Man movies. 2010. That's what I went with. Um, it felt pretty obvious, but is that not it? Oh, man. Well, it looks like Nathan's going to get another point. Yes, it was. Let's go. We're tied, baby. Yeah, so it was easy. A funny thing was, I was actually thinking of Thomas Hayden Church, who was in uh, Spider Man 3. But uh, I totally forgot, like, Emma Stone is also in the Spider-Man movie. So I was like, oh, yeah, I totally gave that away. But, yeah, Easy A, sorry, Emma Stone, and uh, Thomas Hayden Church, uh, Patricia Clarkson. It was a very, very great cast, uh, very funny movie. Nick, have you, have you seen Easy A? I have not, but actually I think it was one of my choices. I don't remember if I chose it or said it in one of the other ones, but it was the one where Nathan said smart, where it was like yeah. the synonym. I thought of easy A because mm-hmm. it like qualified, it checked all the boxes, but I don't think I picked it. It was one of the movies that like I was looking at pretty hard, but I, I don't think I picked it. Yeah. Easy A. Um, yeah. Your body language was scaring me when you were I know. Like I was trying to throw you down. off. I was trying to throw you off. Just nah, <laughs> after, after I was toying back and forth between American Sniper and Beasts of No Nation, I'm going with my heart now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could be in the lead. You could be in the I lead. I know. I yeah, know. But yeah. I'll stick with us being tied for now. So Nathan and Nick both have two points. Uh, me and Jeremy both have one. We got to step our game up. But uh, uh, Nathan, I believe it is your code word for next week. So what do you got? It is. That means it's my chance to get back. I know. All right. Well, uh, this is a film I've seen before. It is not on my letterbox. So if you're hunting there, you're going to come up short. Uh, The code word this week is frozen. Frozen (laughs) 2. And you're going to think it's the animated movies. It's not. I'll give you that. 
Uh, code word is frozen. My first clue is that it came out between 2015 and 2019. So frozen. I won't give you a, <laughs> here, a huge 10-year gap like Nick. Um, but 2015 to 2019, it is not an animated movie. Mm-hmm. And it features inside of it two MCU heroes. Won't give you a movie, won't give you a timeline for when these heroes are, wait, wait. but two MCU heroes. So okay. we're not going with Michael Keaton or Michael B. Jordan or Josh Brolin. Like we're doing the heroes. Two of them are inside this movie, 2015 to 2019, non-animated, and the code word is Frozen. Okay, that's nope. what you, Wait, guys you mean Robert Downey Jr. Out. and Chris Evans weren't in Frozen? <laughs> they were like in the background? <laughs> the live action one, yes. Uh, live action yeah, Frozen. That's right. So that's what you guys got to get working on. If you, if you want to play along with us here on Film Code, um, go ahead and DM one of us. Let us know your thoughts on what you think this movie could be. All you got to do is, based on the clues that I just gave, formulate your own idea for what you think the movie could be and we will shout you out here on the show for getting it right we'll also kind of give you another little prize or incentive to win so uh play along that's kind of the whole obviously point of this show it's the name of the show film code so yeah play along and um i'll give those clues one more time in case you you are listening and you do want to play along our code word is frozen so the movie has something to do with frozen and freezing and cold <laughs> first clue is that it came out between 2015 and 2019 second clue is that it's non-animated and the third clue is that there are two mcu heroes inside of this film and uh that's that's the code word guys hope none of you get it <laughs> i get it all right uh that one's gonna be hard all right but that was a good one all right guys well it's been fun. I know Jeremy's got to head up out of here, and uh, I got to start editing our, editing our next episode. But tell everybody where they can find you guys. Jeremy, where can everybody find you? I'm on the letterbox at the Real Zippy. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jeremy Jenks. All right, and Nick, where can everybody find you? Find me on Letterbox, Nick Spain. I think I have a an emoji boom, like a boom emoji next to it. Um, so a big flash emoji next to it so that you can, like Nathan said, find the real me. <laughs> All right. And Nathan, where can everybody find you? You find me over on Letterbox at Nathan Pig. Two G's in my last name. I'm holding Pig a with two G's. Pig with two G's. I got a picture of a dog. I'm holding a dog. That's how you know you found me along with the lightning symbol. Uh, I have a lot holding of... holding a dog. Yep. <laughs> I got uh, I've got a lot of hot takes, so you guys can either come over and agree with me or come over and shaft me for my opinions. <laughs> either way, I just bastards is the best. Either either way, I just appreciate you guys coming over and talking with me. So at Nathan Pig over on Letterbox, um, also follow the show on Twitter at Film Code Pod. Um, however, you're listening to this. Go ahead and check out our other episodes. If you've checked them all out, please let us know. You know, we don't know who's necessarily listening. If you're one of our loyal followers, loyal fans, please let us know. We want to interact with you guys and, you know, just want to thank you. So, yeah, that's it. Good show this week and uh, looking forward to next week. All right. 
Well, we'll see you guys next week. We're out of here. Peace.